Hi everyone, it's Trevor here from We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. I am back once again with an extra episode where I will partake in another month's worth of random film selection from my collection of films that I own that I still haven't got round to watching. So we'll get on to that in a moment. But first of all, if you are listening to this and the rest of the series of podcasts and you are enjoying them, then please give us a rating on whatever podcast site that you listen to us on. Come over to find us at Instagram and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast and instagram.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast where you can comment and message us. It'd be great to hear from you. But anyway, without further ado, let's continue with films that I own that I haven't watched yet. Hi guys, Trevor here, Hack Films, and we need to talk about movies podcast. And now it's time to choose another DVD that I own that I haven't got round to watching yet. So in here I've listed over a hundred DVDs that I've purchased over the years but never got round to watching. So let's see what we've picked this week. Exciting. Got one. Man on Fire. Is that Denzel Washington film? Man on Fire. Yeah, Denzel. I've had this one for a long time. I'm not really an action movie fan, but I've been told it's a great film. Tony Scott film. It says the godfather of revenge movies. Two-time Academy Award winner Denzel Washington ignites a masterpiece of mayhem in this powerful action suspense thriller. Burnt out ex-CIA operative John Creasy, Washington, has lost faith in humanity and is set on a path of self-destruction. Until he is hired to protect the young daughter, Dakota Fanning, of a wealthy family in Mexico City. But when the little girl is kidnapped, Creasy unleashes a firestorm of relentless vengeance against those responsible. Yeah, so, man on fire. Denzel Washington. I'll meet you afterwards, and we'll discuss my initial thoughts. Okay, man on fire. I feel like I've just had an aneurysm. It starts off the titles and it's flashy and it's high contrast, high saturation. The camera's all over the place, there's whooshing and there's sound effects and the music's chopping and changing. And you think, oh, this is a stylish sort of intro, stylish credit sequence. Uh, But then it doesn't stop for the whole film. It, It just got a bit distracting. You know, some might say it's stylish. I just see things like that as a gimmick. It's gimmicky. And then the subtitles are just in and out all over the place. It was just chaos. Camera is always constantly fucking moving and spinning around. And it's it's just too much. It's like, I'm not just showing my age. I have felt like this about action films for years. It's not you, it's me. (laughs) To me, it is so dull. It is so disengaging. I I didn't really enjoy this film at all. I was willing it to end. I was restless, I was losing interest. I mean, on the cover here it says, it's the godfather of revenge movies. Nah, probably get Carter, I'd call the godfather of revenge movies. I'd call this the top gun of revenge movies. It's just, just nonsense, isn't it? You've got Denzel Washington, he gives a good performance, he always does, but he's that character on the edge. 
it's almost your Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon, isn't it? Yeah. But it just didn't feel to me at all realistic. So it's actually written by the writer of LA Confidential, the screenplay of LA Confidential, Brian Helgland, which I thought was a really good script. Legend, he wrote, which I thought was, you know, half decent film. This screenplay has sort of been Tony Scotted. There's no surprise in this film. It was paint by numbers action. I need a film with a bit of substance. This had no substance. You could sort of tell where all the twists and turns were going to be. There was no emotional grip, you know? There was no drama in this. Even when you have the scene between Denzel Washington and the mum in the bedroom, it's just a scene. There's, It's just passing time to get to the action. There's no meaningful character arc anywhere in this film. The little girl's gone missing and Denzel Washington now is he's on for revenge. He's loading up all these weapons and he's got that stupid raucous rock beat as he's loading up all these guns and missiles and detonators and he's got the federal agents helping him and you just think well surely they would just bring him in, rein him in. They wouldn't allow this sort of thing to happen. I mean, he's not just going out killing the bad guys. He is shooting bazookas in public. He sets fire to a nightclub where there's thousands of people still in there. We saw them all outside and they was all safe. But if you set fire to that nightclub in real life and all those people were rushing out and then it exploded, you would have lost quite a lot of lives in real life. It's just pathetic. And then you've got Christopher Walken saying to the federal agents things like, he'd deliver more justice in a weekend than all of your courts and tribunals. Just stay out of his way. And then he says, Creasy's art is death, and he's about to paint his masterpiece. Fuck off. I hate these American hero bullshit films. It was all right in the 80s. Watching Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone take on the whole world was sort of good fun, but films grew up during the 80s and 90s and then this is just just step back isn't it you know and then you've got the torture scenes it's just glamorized violence isn't it and then to have the title sequence at the end come up and say creasy lived from this time to this time and they're trying to make it out as if it's a true story fuck off if this is a true story i'm not even going to warrant looking it up on google because no it isn't a true story. It's a bullshit story. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Rant over. Dakota Fanning, great little actress in this. I think that's one of the high points of the film. Um, apart from that, it was just Hollywood shit. Out of all the films I've picked out of the pot so far, that was the first film that really just didn't strike a chord on me. Let's hope I get something a bit more interesting next week. Hello film fans, it's Trevor here again. Films that I own that I haven't watched yet. So here we go. Here's the titles. Have a good rummage, rummage, rummage. Got one. The Last Picture Show. So it's another Jeff Bridges film. One of his early films, he's very young. Right, it's directed by Peter Bogdanovich, who is one of the sort of up-and-coming directors of the 70s. It stars Timothy Bottoms, Jeff Bridges, Ellen Bernstein, Randy Quaid and Sybil Shepherd. All very young in this. Peter Bogdanovich actually met Sybil Shepherd and they had a relationship. 
off of this film. I know all the gossip about it. I've read a book called Easy Riders Raging Balls. But you'll probably see Peter McDonovich on the telly more than you see his films these days. I know he directed um, Paper Moon, which was a good one, with Ryan and Tatum O'Neill. He directed Mask with uh, Cher, a film about her son who had that almost like an elephant man type of disease. And he'd done a really good film for Roger Corman called Targets, which I thought was brilliant. Um, and one day maybe me and Nath will talk about that. But you'll see him in things. He was in The Sopranos. He was uh, Lorraine Brocco's friend in The Sopranos. I saw him only the other day in It Part 2. He plays the director at the beginning of that. So you've probably seen him. You, you probably would recognise him. But anyway, this is the last picture show. What's it say? Released in 1971 to critical acclaim and public controversy, The Last Picture Show garnered eight Academy Award nominations and was hailed as the most important work by a young American director since Citizen Kane. High hopes for this one then. A surprisingly frank, bittersweet drama of social and sexual mores in a small town Texas. This modern classic is a must-have for every movie lover. So, this week's film, The Last Picture Show. I will watch that and I will come back and give you my quick review after that. Cheers. Okay, so just watched the last picture show. It was a slow burner, but I really did enjoy it. First of all, it was really interesting to see some really recognisable sort of actors and stars, but in really early performances. Uh, of course, it was Jeff Bridges. Timothy Bottoms, I've only ever seen Timothy Bottoms in Roller Coaster, if I'm honest. I can't think of any other films that I recognise him from. Uh, Sybil Shepherd and Randy Quaid, they all put in a real, you know, real good performances. Sybil Shepherd's character was just hilarious, the promiscuous JC. It's basically, it's the story of this sleepy town and, and the, the story is bookended by a panning shot across this sort of desolate, abandoned street. It's almost like Radiator Springs out of cars, but in black and white. Now, it's... It's in black and white and it feels like you're watching an old film. Peter Bogdanovich has gone for that sort of style because it's not at a time when films had to be black and white. But I think because it's set in the past, I, I take it the early 50s, yeah, it's really got that sort of feel that you're watching an old film. Sometimes, you know, he's tried to do stuff with the editing, which I guess was brave at the time and adventurous for young, you know, because he was a young filmmaker. But, you know, it feels a bit clunky now when you're watching it. Some of the editing and the cutting, like when Timothy Bottoms gets a bottle smashed on his head by Jeff Bridges, that now looks a bit, looks a little bit ropey. Uh, so the story is based on a, on a novel. It tells like a sort of a, an autobiographical story about small town America. It coming of age, basically. And we sort of follow Timothy Bottoms' character, Sonny. And it's a lot of promiscuous sort of sexual antics, teenage antics, you know, sexual exploration. It's not racy, but there is nudity and it is of a sexual content. Sonny is sleeping with his coach's wife because they're in a loveless marriage. He's never home. Sybil Shepherd is trying to sort of lose her virginity and she's going from boy to boy, using them to her own end. Her mother is 
is having an affair as well. Ellen Bernstein plays her mum. They pay a prostitute to sleep with the simple boy of the town. Uh, it sounds a lot like Porky's, you know, but it's not. It's really done quite tastefully. It's, it's really quite a dramatic film. And uh, as I say, it was a slow burner and I was thinking, am I going to enjoy this or do you have to be American to appreciate this? It's not as accessible as say George Lucas's coming of age film uh, American Graffiti whereas this is so sort of rural that it was hard to get in but once you get into it, it the characters are well developed there's good storylines going here there and everywhere it's all about just them growing up it's a, it's a lazy a lazy town and the film is a, this lazy sort of plodding storyline and it's accompanied by this diegetic soundtrack piece of music there's no score but there is music throughout and it, it comes from like the radios or jukebox or record players and it sort of puts you there in in the lives of these people with them the town is sort of run by this bloke sam the lion they call him and he's he's kind of the mentor and he sees something in sunny who is played by ben johnson I think he's like a, a Western actor. He owns the pool hall and the picture house and the cafeteria or the diner. And he's the backbone for this town and someone who all the kids look up to. And when he scorns them for sending the, the simple lad to the prostitute, they're that ashamed by what's sort of gone on. And uh, Jeff Bridges sort of hides in the back of the car because it's that's the final shame is being told off and looked down upon by Sam the Lion. It was humorous throughout. There were some bits that made you laugh. There was also some bits that you sort of think, ooh, a bit strange. Um, and I know it's different days, but like, you know, the JC has an affair with her mother's boyfriend as well. Her mother's bit on the side, you know, an older man. You've got Sonny sleeping with the coach's wife. And then you've got the preacher's son who takes this little girl off in his car and they find him and they arrest him and they're like well he didn't do nothing you know he only got her to take her knickers off and i guess even when this was being made in 1971 they was looking back at that saying you know how times had changed from the 50s when it was set and now you're looking back again you know another 30 another 40 years and it's um it's even more sort of striking you know it's heavily about sex and that seems to be the center of the politics of these teenagers but then as the film progresses you realize that that nothing really ever changes but yeah that was the last picture show so thank you for listening and i'll see you all again soon cheers it's trevor here back again in front of the dvds it's time to choose another film. The question is, what am I gonna watch this time? Let's decide. In here, got one. Right, the good, the bad, and the ugly I've pulled out, but another Clint Eastwood Western. Right, so we know the other week I watched Fistful of Dollars and really enjoyed it. And it's part of a trilogy. I didn't realize it was part of a trilogy until I looked up after watching A Fistful of Dollars. So the next one in line is A Few Dollars More. So I've pulled out A Good, The Bad, The Ugly, but I'm gonna watch A Few Dollars More. So I'll put The Good, The Bad, The Ugly back in there. So for A Few Dollars More. Clint Eastwood had proven so successful in his first foray into European Westerns with A Fistful of Dollars that a follow-up sequel was inevitable. 
superbly scripted by Luciano Vincenzoni, featuring an unforgettable alliance between ruthless gunslingers Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef. For a few dollars more, tells the tale of a ruthless quest to track down the notorious bandit El Indio. The film is also noted for its array of weaponry. Sergio Leone's direction is both violent and operatic, and Ennio Morricone's atmospheric score keeps the tension taut as the action moves from jailbreaks and hold-ups to spectacular gun battles. I said I've never seen a western, and... You know, it's only been about three or four weeks since I watched one. Now I'm going to watch the next one. I'll tell you afterwards what I think. Okay, so I've just watched for a few dollars more. Was it as good as the first one? Yeah, I think so. It was a little bit longer. It did drag a little bit more than the other one. But from the word go, it it was just really compelling viewing. The opening shot is like a vista and you just see a lone horseman riding along and then you hear a gunshot and you see him fall off his horse and then the, the credits roll over the uh, over that shot basically of the empty desert and then the theme tune starts Ennio Morricone's theme tune and it's a different one to the first film but again it's recognisable. These films are so sort of ingrained in our culture that without knowing them, but certainly for my generation, we recognise things from it. So in this one, you've got uh, Lee Van Cleef as um, Colonel Mortimer. He's a bounty hunter. Clint Eastwood's a bounty hunter, and they're going after the same guy, the villain Indio. And uh, at the beginning, there's a little bit of rivalry, and they're summing each other up, sussing each other out. But then they start to work together, and it's a great team. Van Cleef, looking at it, I, I, you know, I knew who Lee Van Cleef was, and I knew he was in these films, but I always had it in my head that he was the villain. So it's quite interesting to see them form this partnership. Van Cleef is sort of steely cold. Clint is, you know, as cool as ever, making smoking look really cool. It's no wonder that, all, you know, our parents' generation was so full of smokers when you had films like this. My early experience of Lee Van Cleef actually comes from the comic strip Presents. There was an episode called A Fistful of Travellers Checks and Peter Richardson plays the Lee Van Cleef character and surprisingly now watching this you realise how good an impersonation Peter Richardson done. You can also see a lot of influence from this film for a lot of other films. El Mariachi, there's bits in it that reminded me of that mainly uh, Lee Van Cleef's gun case which he folds out and there's all the different rifles in there but there's other scenes in there like the jailbreak scene I'm sure there's a jailbreak scene in El Mariachi it's been a while but so many scenes are sort of familiar yeah, the, the setup of this film was just fantastic it was just really compelling viewing it's all really atmospheric it's, it's silent it's moody it's drawn out the score is just fantastic throughout it really creates quite a strange sort of atmosphere the shots again are really interesting low angles lots of close-ups again like there was in the first one but just really well made really well put together and despite the film being quite an old film the editing and that it seems really fast-paced but not jittery at all you know i said when i reviewed the last picture show last week that the scene where jeff bridges gets a box smashed over his head it felt really jumpy and it felt fake and staged 
in this is just so great. Every cut and splice is really well placed and fluid. The whole film just molds together. So there's like a really great build up of tension as the film goes on. You know, in each scene, it, a lot goes on without a lot of dialogue and it creates a lot of tension. Notably the scene where Lee Van Cleef lights a match off the back of one of Indio's gang. There's sort of a standoff and that's a scene where there's a lot of cutting from one character to the other and then there's lots of splices in the editing but really effective. You introduce the character, then you introduce the villain, Indio, and he's ruthless from the start. You know what you're up against when he finds the guy who, who got him put into prison in the first place. Then he takes the wife and child off and has them killed. So you know he's, you know, he's not someone to be messed with. Really quite shocking violence for the time. The blood was a bit more toned down than the last film was a bit sort of painted blood but Indio has this watch and when he jewels people he opens the watch and it like plays this tune I've definitely heard that tune before I'm sure there was like a rave tune about it but yeah it's, it plays this little tune and by the time the music runs down that's when they jewel again there's plenty of comedy in it throughout um, some really funny scenes one is where Clint Eastwood turns up to go in to stay in an inn and the innkeeper sort of stood behind his wife and she's sort of brooding all over him like a big chesty woman and she's like oh I like a bit of Clint and he walks off and as she walks off she goes oh he's so tall and then the husband sort of shakes his head and then walks around from the counter and then steps down and then you realize he's actually stood up on something and he's practically a midget <laughs> just lots of comedy moments i really have enjoyed this trilogy so far so there's the good the bad the ugly left which a lot of people i know really revere that film so i might even watch that without picking it out of the hat i might just watch that at some point it's trevor here I've got my box of titles Get Shorty. So, Get Shorty, John Travolta, Gene Hatman, Rene Russo, and Danny DeVito. 1995, Lone Shark, Chili Palmer, Travolta, is bored with the business. So when he arrives in LA to collect a debt from down and out filmmaker Harry Zim, Gene Hatman, Chili talks tough, and then pitches Harry a script idea. Immediately, Chili is swept into the Hollywood scene. He schmoozes film star Martin Weir, Danny DeVito, romances B-movie queen Karen Flores, Renny Russo, and even gets reservations at the hottest restaurants in town. In fact, all would be smooth for this cool new producer if it weren't for the drug smugglers and the angry mobster who won't leave him alone. It does sound exactly the type of film that I should have seen. A bit of gangster fun, but also a bit Hollywood, a bit like the, the player. So, get shorty. Let's have a look. I'll let you know afterwards what my first impressions were. Okay, welcome back. So, I've just watched Get Shorty. This film from the mid-90s came at a time when the gangster genre was kicking off. And I was well into it. You know, there was a lot of films at that time trying to sort of replicate Quentin Tarantino. You had two types of gangster genre, basically. You had your Martin Scorsese biopics, like Goodfellas and Casino, and then you had your Tarantino rip-offs. And whilst this wasn't a Tarantino rip-off, it certainly got made at that time, knowing that there was an audience for it. 
It's based on a book by Elmore Leonard, who Tarantino had made, uh, I don't know if he had at this point, but Jackie Brown was an Elmore Leonard book. So the subject material there was good. But what did I think of it, more importantly? I must say, I really enjoyed it. It was another really great film. John Travolta, he was a promising leading man in the 70s. Sort of his career waned a bit in the 80s until his revival in Pulp Fiction. And then there was a couple of years where he couldn't really do any wrong. And his career sort of faded again more recent years, isn't it? But this was a great film. He was the great leading man for this role as Chili Palmer, the gangster who, chasing down some money, ends up in L.A. And he's the gangster with a lot of knowledge of film. So he's chasing down someone who's run off with some money and he tracks him to L.A. And then ends up breaking into the film industry. It's a really great film with a really great plot. Various characters, all their stories intertwined and all at the same time John Travolta is pitching this film which basically he's pitching the story of Get Shorty. There's even a line in it later where they say, what are you going to call this film? And he says, I don't know, Get Shorty. So I think the Get Shorty either refers to them hiring Danny DeVito or tracking down the money in the first place. John Travolta meets, first of all, Harry Zim, who is Gene Hackman in an absolutely brilliant role. I love it when Gene Hackman plays the hapless characters, the Royal Tenenbaums. He was great in that. And in this, he's just as sort of Weasley. He's sort of like an Ed Wood producer, you know, making silly B-movie monster films. He doesn't do things right. He doesn't really care what other people are thinking of him. He's all in it for self-gain in Hollywood after all whereas John Travolta he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's trying to help Gene Hackman Harry Zim and Harry Zim has this great idea for a film and John Travolta decides he wants to be a producer for it Rene Russo plays the the sort of the leading lady in this and she's like a B-movie actress who is in Gene Hackman's B-movie films and she can't get a decent role in Hollywood because of it Danny DeVito plays a, an A-lister actor called Martin Weir and he's, he, I think he was married to Rene Russo and he's still got this crush on her. But at the same time, there's another story going on which is between John Travolta and Ray Bones, the character's called, played by Dennis Farina. And Dennis Farina, is he wants the money in the first place, which is why John Travolta's gone to get it. Then there's another plot going on with James Gandolfini and Delroy Lindo and they've got some money that's tied up in a film with Gene Hackman but it's also there's money from I think they're Mexicans or Cubans some drug money going on anyway so there's a lot of sort of intertwining plots it's great it's a roller coaster it's really good lots of funny comedy throughout lots of twists and turns Travolta always playing it cool you never really feel that he's in any jeopardy but it doesn't matter because he's that sort of cool that it's just enjoyable to watch it's a sort of a laid-back film the, the photography the cinematography I mean Barry Sonnenfeld started started his game as a cinematographer anyway the director but it's a slow pace it's nice easygoing films there's nothing special about it you know the shots the way it's shot there's nothing special about the musical score which is like, a, like a, an upbeat jazzy score but it just all ties the film together really easily and it's an easy sort of couple of hours just to watch this film yeah i'd definitely recommend it it's good fun well done a lot of films in the 90s would miss the plot they tried too much to be like a tarantino film with the dialogue and with the quirky plots 
films like Things to Do in Denver when you're dead, I think, miss the mark. Whereas this, it's it's his own thing. It's not trying to be anything flash. It's just telling a really great story with some really great actors and loads of comedy as well. Every now and again, a little bit of violence, mostly for laughs, sometimes a bit of shock value, but yeah, really good film. Highly recommend it. Okay, so that was another month of films that I own that I haven't watched yet, and uh, quite a selection again. Most of them I enjoyed. A Man on Fire, definitely not my film of the month, but what was my film of the month? I really enjoyed The Last Picture Show, a few dollars more and Get Shorty were all great fun. Uh, the Last Picture Show, probably not one I'd watch again for a while. It was a good, interesting drama. A few dollars more was, I know last month, a fistful of dollars made my top selection. And a few dollars more, I think, was a bit more exciting having the dynamic with Lee Van Cleef. But personally, I really enjoyed Get Shorty. It's just really fun, really easy watching quite funny just a good sort of complicated story um with some really really great performances in so yeah my film of april that i'm glad that i watched that i owned is uh get shorty so join me again next month for some more films from my collection take care everyone and see you soon cheers bye